Funded by the State Library of Western Australia, this collection of stories documents experiences of the COVID-19 pandemic that hit Australia in early 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic led to the declaration of a state of emergency in Western Australia on the 16th of March. WA went into lockdown between the months of March to May, with further restrictions continuing for months after. During this time, events were cancelled, schools shut down and parks became overcrowded. Thousands of individuals, businesses, communities and organisations were severely impacted as they were forced to work from home, social distance and book emergency flights. This collection, produced by the Centre for Stories in Northbridge, Western Australia, explores these unprecedented effects and contributes a record of this remarkable time in history. Five-time Paralympian Brad Ness discusses the effects COVID had on the postponement of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. You know, I wanted to be a professional sportsman. I wanted to be a, a, a footballer. Um, I got to be a professional sportsman, but it was in wheelchair basketball growing up on a wheat and sheep farm. That was the last thing I thought I'd be doing for a, <laughs> for a living. But I suppose when you look at it, I probably got a, a much longer career in sport um, from, from playing wheelchair basketball than I would have ever had playing football because the, the statistics and the percentages are I probably wouldn't have made it anyway. So the weekend of my accident, I'd actually logged 37 and a half hours in two days. So on this particular evening, we'd actually, it was on the back end of a double-double. Um, so we took off from Hillary's, went down to Fremantle, punched into the Frio doctor the whole way down. So we'd worked the Roto run all day and then we are doing like a night cruise. It was a Christmas cruise. So you're sort of jumping between roles and then come back and then I'm the most unpopular person trying to get, you know, 199 people out of the pub back onto a boat to go home. If everyone's <laughs> been to the island, you understand, Friday night, beers are flowing, no one really wants to go home. So, you know, a bit of, you know, Farmland came into play there, cattle prods, you know, get everyone on board. Um, so I got everyone on board that night. And then my job is then to switch back into almost being the park brake for the boat. So I tell the skipper to go into gear, the boat goes into gear and all the tension goes on my line. The forward ropes become slack, so I'd make sure the deckhands jump on, take those ropes off. I'd tell the skipper to bring the boat back. He just takes it out of gear, so all that pressure on my line comes back. I climb through a window, take the rope off the bollard inside the boat, that's when the problem started. Um, someone yelling out, get us a beer or anything like that, sounds like my next command, uh, which was, was all clear. So the skipper thought he was all clear. I'm trying to get the rope off the jetty. I couldn't because the boat's sort of moving away. Yeah, I've got about four metres of line that's paying out through a scupper hole about so big. From trying to yell from the window or then from the stairwell, when I pivoted, I put my foot in the rope and it just tore my foot clean off out through the scupper hole within a split second. Um, you know, if they say your life changes in a split second, I reckon it can change quicker because I actually, you know, sort of saw it but I didn't have the time to get it out. They tell me you die within about five minutes from an accident like mine. The accident happened at 11.30 at night. I didn't get in a hospital till about 2 o'clock. Was I in the wrong place at the right time or the right place at the wrong time? That's a debatable question because, you know, I, when I woke up, um, that happened Saturday night, they amputated back to just below the knee because uh, I lost my foot completely. And, um, yeah, sort of when I woke up, I was like, oh, that's all that happened. You know, I'm, I'm still here. So, yeah, forever grateful for the people that were on board that night because, yeah, I shouldn't have, probably shouldn't have got off the rock that night. I was 12 weeks into being 18. So um, I suppose the way I looked at it, yeah, I'd lost – being able to play football, I suppose that was the hardest thing. Sometimes you, you've just got to stop and think and 
you almost breathe and say, okay, this is the the obstacle in front of me or this is the situation and you sometimes got to look outside the box and the way I attack life now and is it because I had that accident? I'm not sure. Um, but it's definitely, yeah, you've got to look for, you know, the positives and I'm not saying there's always going to be that outcome but I think sometimes we get too pigeonholed or, or channeled into doing the norm and not looking outside and seeing what other options there are. Yeah, I think you'll find people with a disability a majority of the time are pretty resilient in different phases just because they have to be. Um, you know, society's changing a lot now, which is making it um, sort of easier, I suppose. But, yeah, a lot of a lot of the guys, they're, they're very resilient in, in how they go about their daily lives and um, they're very structured as well. Um, I suppose you need to be because you can't just wake up and jump out of bed and jump into a car and go. Like there's, there's a lot of planning to go into into all of that. So, yeah, it's been refreshing to see some of the things they've come up with themselves um, to, to adapt to COVID. There was a lot of concern because of some of their disabilities also makes them more susceptible to something like COVID, just with respiratory, um, you know, paraplegia and stuff like that. So um, there was a lot of concern from them that, hey, we don't want to even go outside here at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're not going to risk going to a shop. So, yeah, it's been it's been great seeing the way they've helped each other through through COVID. A big part of me was so upset because they had bought in and they had worked so hard for 10 weeks and then all of a sudden, bang, they're in lockdown um, and they couldn't train. So that was that was frustrating and it was frustrating for the athletes. The mindset is now, hey, let's go away and, and you tell me what you want to work on and and now let's take this time to, yeah, and it might not be so much on the court. It might be getting their NDIS plans in place so that, you know, for the next year their goals, they can work towards their goals and they can get assistance to do that. We were very fortunate. Wheelchair basketball was one of the first sports programs back up running post-COVID, maybe the only advantage to, to being the most isolated city in the world. You know, right or wrong, they've shut the borders and, you know, we can move around, we can, you know, we can train. Like, we, we were very fortunate. I had to go one athlete at a time. So my coaching day went from, say, two hours a day to seven hours a day. But we got through it and that enabled them to get back and get training. So we got the jump on the rest of Australia by probably a month, maybe more, Um and now we're saying back in lockdown, we're back training like there's no problems. We're full contact. We're scrimmaging. Uh, we're able to do what we want to do. The advantages of WA, I suppose, we always sort of, you know, joke about cutting ourselves off from the rest of Australia and stuff. But we're seeing now that, you know, for how long, who knows, but we can actually sustain ourselves as a, as a region, as a, as a state. So even though the games have been postponed a year, it's given opportunity to a couple of our players now who probably... They're developing their, their, their young guys coming through and, and uh, there's a girl there as well. My squad's mixed. so But we've got a couple of athletes there that would have missed Tokyo if it was held in three weeks' time. But now that it's in a year's time, they've actually got a really, really good opportunity to make that team. So their goal is not so much Tokyo in August next year, it's actually being selected in February. Mm. So when we look at it that way, um, you know, I'm saying to them, hey, train now for that. If you make it, awesome. We'll 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 deal with that after that. If you don't, February it doesn't matter how hard you train afterwards, you, you've missed the boat. So we, let's not look at this as 12, 13 months out. You know, we're going to look at this as uh, we're now training for this, and and what are we going to do daily to to achieve that? You've got to focus on today and what you can do. Like I said, on and off the court, how can you be better person to to be able to be ready in February when they when they start selecting teams? You know, post COVID, 
you talk about how things change. One of our guys finishes training at 9am and he's sitting there, you know, sweating in his training kit, but he's got his phone and he's on a, he's on a Zoom conference for work because they check in at nine o'clock and a big part of their thing is how they all work from home. So I think what sport's going to look like moving forward is that we're going to get used to not seeing crowds. If you're asking me whether Tokyo will go on, I'm, I'm really sceptical. Um, look, I think if there's any country that can pull that off, it'll be the Japanese. They'd put in new infrastructure for travel, um, you know, commuting in and around Tokyo. It was amazing what they'd done. So if anyone can do it, they can do it. But um, it's going to be tough and, and yeah, you, you, you live in hope and, you, and, and you've, you've got to keep everyone upbeat and training and stuff. For a lot of people, they're going to have their dream taken away from them and then it goes back to what we are talking about before, their self-worth. What is it? You know, a lot of people suffer coming out post-games because they put so much into competing for that 10 seconds, 40 seconds, whatever it might be, and then they have sort of nothing past that. You know, I'd hate to be in someone's shoes where they've dedicated their life, you know, or a big part of their life to getting to that event and then it's taken away from them. That would be really hard to to comprehend. I'm evolving as a coach. I'm learning all the time. But the biggest thing is having the patience to work with with everyone, with with everything that's going on because everyone's being affected differently with COVID. Just working through everyone's, I suppose, individual needs as, as a coach has been, for me, a little bit challenging, just now having the patience to say, hey, we don't know when we're going to be able to train internationally or at an international level again. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just got to keep keep doing control what's what we can control and that's being here in WA. A lot of people, I suppose when they hear my story, they go, oh, you're so resilient. Um, I think we're all born with resilience. I think it's, it's we've, everyone's got it inside of them. Um, sometimes it just takes you know, an event um, in in someone's life to, I suppose, to, to really um, bring that out, and it's a powerful thing. Um, but I, I do believe we've all we've all got it inside of us, and it's just how how do you tap into it? How do you how do you harness it and and use it for you know for for an advantage? I suppose it's just with me with my resilience or with what I see with the athletes every day. It's it's showing people that. They don't go out of their way to be resilient. It's just the way they are. It's like they have to be to be able to make, you know, to get through to the end of the day. And that's where I was at the, at the start when I first lost my lost my foot. It was, you know, let's just focus on getting through to the end of the day. And and sometimes you people say you can't do that. Like for me, the police turned up and took my licence off me and all of a sudden I couldn't drive. I mean, I've grew up on a farm. I've been driving all my <laughs> life. Um, so to lose my licence, it was like, okay, well, how do I get it back? People look at that as being resilient. You know, I, I just look at it as life. With me, I wanted to be a sportsman, you know, and I did it through basketball, like I said before. You know, is that being resilient? Maybe it's just following your dreams and, you know, working hard to get there. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Centre for Stories, head to our website, centreforstories.com.